All right. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, we are on question number 82 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. We've been using this, it's 107 questions, been using this as a guide to just ground us in the basics of the faith uh, as it's laid out by these divines. They're called divines, they're not actually divine men, that's just a nickname they got uh, from the 1640s. And what we did, we just finished the Ten Commandments. So every week, for the past ten or so weeks, we would look at at least three questions per commandment, and we just finished those. It's, it's been about a month now because I've been out of town and been gone. But we just finished the Ten Commandments, and here's where wisely those men wrote down this follow-up question to these things. is question number 82. Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? You go through those ten, and what's tempting for us to do is just to go, that's great, and we all become the rich young ruler. I have kept these from my youth. Or we just disregard them as like, oh, those used to be ornaments in courtrooms and in school hallways. Well, now they're not anymore. It's not that big of a deal. But what the question is forcing us to think and to realize is, can anybody keep these? Because you should read the Ten Commandments and come away with it with an air of hopelessness. I haven't done any of these, especially if you're aware of Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain and Matthew chapter 5. When he goes about through the commandments like adultery and about anger and about murder, and he, he explains that nobody's kept these. So you should get to the end of these commandments and go, I am doomed. This is the, the doctrine of you can call it total depravity, you can call it total inability, you can call it radical depravity, whatever you want to call it. But the problem, what we're going to look at is not the law of God. The problem is us. The problem is not the Ten Commandments. Oh, they're, they're no good. I mean, you won't need to, we don't need to learn those. No, no, no. They're perfectly reflecting the character of God, as all the law does. The problem is us. I can't do this. I can't keep this. So, the question is, is any man able to perfectly keep the commandments of God? Here's the answer. No mere man since the fall. So, back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve in the garden. No mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth, that means does, daily break them in thought, word, and deed. Now, see, we have to face this question. There is no hope of salvation unless we face this question. Can I perfectly keep these laws? Without it, I don't have any hope for it. The, the depravity that's in me, the inability that's in me must be exposed in its fullness. Now, when we say total depravity, don't think that what we mean is that everybody is Hitler, that everybody is as evil as evil can manifest. That's not what we're talking about. It's radical, not radical in the sense of, Calif no offense, front row, not in the sense of Californians, uh, Cal Cowabunga, radical, radical in the sense of mathematics. What is that little thing that goes over a square root? What's it called? It's called a radical because you're looking for the square root, the root. And what's the, the worst vegetable that you can eat? It's a radish. It's a root. Radical. It's all connecting together. You see what I'm talking about? And uh, so what we're after is that this is where the corruption lies. So let's look at some of these verses, some that the, uh, the uh, Westminster Divines put in and some that I put in. Romans 3, 23. We all know that one. 
for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you see, for all have sinned, present tense, and fall short, or have sinned, past tense, and fall short of the glory of God, present tense. So we did it once, and we continue to do it all the time. Ecclesiastes 7.20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That person does not exist. 1 John 1.8 and 10, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We have no sin or we have not sinned. Either way, you're a liar and you don't have God's word. Galatians 5, 17 and 18. For the desires of the flesh, meaning sin, are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, meaning they are opposed to each other. They're, they're mutually exclusive to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. These are opposed to us. It's fighting. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a lot of superlatives. Every, always, only, continually. And nothing has changed in humanity. It's, just, it's as if, if anything exists or is described about us before Matthew on the left side of the book, we go, ah, that's not what I'm talking about me. But nothing's changed in people. This is what our hearts are and what they do. Not sometimes, always evil continually. And then Romans 8, 7, and 8, I did put this one in. For the mind that is set on the flesh, meaning the unconverted, the sinful mind, is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can not. Do we see that? It can not. This isn't say, oh, well, people can behave. They can not submit to God's law. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, he's a good guy. But she's a, she's a nice lady. She cannot please God. We cannot do it. So the Ten Commandments, if you say, well, I got nine out of ten. No, you didn't. And even if you did, you cannot please God in the flesh. You can't. And you at least got two because you lied there. So you only got eight out of ten. James 2.10 says, I didn't put this one on there, Barbara, don't worry about it. Uh, James 2.10 says that if you break one law, you're guilty of them all. To, to break one of God, God's law is not a piecemeal, it's not a test that has a hundred questions on it. And you get, eh, I kind of got a high range of the score here. No, it's all one thing. It's like a window. If you, if you crack it in one place, then the whole thing shatters. One hole, one crack, the whole thing is gone. The whole thing's compromised now. But that's where we are. So you read that after hearing the law, and then the question comes, and you're like, man, so no, I can't keep these. I can't keep any of these rules. And we need to instruct our kids more along these lines. Can you perfectly do this? They need to be able to say, no, I can't. Well, you're my perfect little angel. No, you're not. You can't, you can't keep these laws. Now, here we go to this one, though. This one's going to throw us for a loop, but it'll resolve 83 will resolve in 84. So look at 83 says this. It says, are, ask this question, are all transgressions equally heinous? Are all transgressions of the law equally heinous? Here's the answer. Some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God 
than others. But wait a minute, wait a minute. We've been telling everybody for decades, don't worry about it, all sins are the same. We've been telling everybody that in evangelicalism in the United States, but we're now conflicting with church history. They believe something different. Are we missing something? When we say this, what's the desire behind all sins are the same? What does it do? It flattens them all, right? So you don't have to ever, oh, don't worry about what, no, it's okay. We're all the same. We're not all the same. That sounds like a generous thing to do, but it's actually a lie. In the same way that we're saying, oh, we're all the same. Well, then there's a line from every once in a while, movies say something profound. The movie The Incredibles, the first one, when everybody's special, nobody's special, right? If everybody's a superhero, nobody's a superhero, right? That's what they say in the movie. Well, we're after this. If every law is the same, we we don't actually believe that, right? We know that rape is worse than shoplifting. We punish that differently, right? Our kids know that. This is different than this. Lying to mom and dad is different than leaving the ball on the carpet. That, those are different. They have different weights there. But we seem to have think it's, it's a misconstruing of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, when he says that, I tell you, truly, truly, I say to you that if you've looked upon a woman with lust in your heart, then you've committed adultery with her already. If you have been angry with your brother, then you've murdered him already. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Like, hey, it's all the same. So if you went ahead and yelled at him, you might as well just kill him. It's the exact same. Or if you just double-taked at that, that woman jogging in nothing on the road, that's the same as committing adultery. So you might as well just do it. It's the same. When we put it like that, we would go, no. You get disqualified from being an elder for adultery, not for double-taking at a jogger. So we understand these kinds of things, and we understand even if we read God's Old Testament law, not every law that's broken gets the death penalty. Some do, but not all of them do. So let's look at some of these worst sins as it is explained here, Old Testament, New Testament. Ezekiel 8, 6, 13, and 15. This is just, we're not going to dig into the context here. We're just going to show you that it exists. And he, God, said to me, Ezekiel, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary? But you will see still greater abominations. Verse 13, he said also to me, you will see still greater abominations that they commit. Verse 15, then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these. So God to Ezekiel is saying, the sins that you're watching now, there are worse ones that they will do later. So in God's eyes, this is not as bad as what's coming. There are worse sins coming. 1 John 5, 16 and 17. Again, we don't have time to get into the context, but we're just going to show this as a proof for this more heinous concept. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So without having to, being able to dive into the context there, there's, there's some kind of gradation here of heinous and more heinous. Now, perhaps the easiest way to understand this is about punishment. Now let's look at New Testament concepts of punishment. When we think about hell, we often think of it flatly. That it's all the exact same. It will all be 
terrible and mournful and miserable and painful and 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 truly hell for everyone but let's look at what jesus says matthew 10 14 through 15 talking to his disciples as they're being sent out to preach and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town truly i say to you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of sodom and gomorrah than for that town day of judgment coming part of it's going to be more bearable for sodom and gomorrah than a town that doesn't receive the disciples preaching it's a gradation in punishment one chapter later matthew 11 20 and following then he jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent why is he denouncing these cities he did miracles there and they did not repent they did not believe turn from their sins and embrace christ this is jesus speaking woe to you chorazin woe to you bethsaida for if the mighty works done in you had been done in tyre and sidon two pagan cities known for their revelry and sinfulness then they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes but i tell you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for tyre and sidon than for you and you capernaum will you be exalted to heaven you will be brought down to hades for if the mighty works done in you had been done in sodom it, meaning Sodom, would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So Jesus, in his mindset, is saying there is going to be worse punishment. Nobody's getting off scot-free. Nobody's going like, oh, this is just a little bit uncomfortable. No, it's actually hell and suffering for everybody. But there are levels. We don't know what they are. Certainly not seven, whether Dante's Inferno. But there are, there are levels in the heinousness of sin and thus the punishment that comes from it but here's where we get this is where it gets resolved the question 84 here's where we get the concept of all sins are the same that's what we mean verse or not verse but question 84 says this what doth every sin deserve every sin deserveth god's wrath and curse both in this life and that which is to come see that's what we mean we don't mean that all sins are the same, meaning we just treat them all the same, because that's just nonsense. Everybody knows what that means. But what we are saying is that every sin uh, equally deserves the fullness of God's wrath. That's why we can say, straight-faced, your dear, sweet granny, who never hurt a fly, but also never bowed the knee to Christ in faith, is also going to go to hell to the same time, same place as Hitler. All sin, this is how Sproul calls it, all sin is cosmic treason whether great or small all sin is cosmic treason against god now here's some verses let's let's understand this ephesians 5 6 let no one deceive you with empty words so as he's been talking about sin and darkness and the like in, in ephesians 5 he's saying he's just ringing you know it's like grabbing by the face mask like a football coach don't let anybody trick you don't let anybody deceive you for because of these things, the sins that he's just been talking about, the previous five verses, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Why is the wrath of God coming? For sins great and small. These things. And then let's go to another one. Galatians 3.10. Who All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Why are you cursed? Because you couldn't perfectly keep God's law. 
just just one thing just one thing lamentations 339 this is so lamentations just to kind of help you understand what it is it's written by jeremiah it comes after the the book of jeremiah he's lamenting because he's he's there in the process of israel being yanked out of the land and he's watching it happen and then getting it out of out of the promised land and into Babylon in this captivity, so he's lamenting. It's just it's this um, several chapters of just of, of a prayer of a poetic prayer of weeping and sadness. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. But in, in the midst of this, in chapter three, verse thirty nine, he says, "Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins?" He, he's saying, "Why could you complain about your sins? Why is there punishment?" Why can't we complain about it? Because we know sins deserve it. We know that. Jesus says in Matthew 25, 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What did they do? I mean, this is a heavy thing for us to jump in the middle of. What did they do? If you know these, this context, this is Jesus saying to the people, you, you fed me when I was hungry you clothed me when i was naked you gave me something to drink when i was thirsty you visited me in prison you visited me when i was sick we when did we do that to you jesus every time you did it to one of the least of these you did it unto me but then to the, those on his left this is the goats the separating of the sheep and the goats he says the opposite you didn't visit me you didn't clothe me you didn't feed me so what is he saying deserves wrath and condemnation a failure to be kind like just normal human decency. That's what he's saying goes in the eternal fire. I mean, so we, we're, we're hitting all levels of gradation of sin here that's all cosmic treason, which we can understand most easily by Romans 6.23. We know this. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, whenever I'm explaining this to somebody, it's an easy verse to share the gospel with. I always ask him, what does the word wages mean? They never know. So then you go, oh, okay, like a job, right? Like So you work at McDonald's. And your wages is what? What is it now? What is minimum wage? Like hundred dollars an hour? Like what? What do we get paid now? So you you work the fryer, you get seventeen fifty for an hour. That's what you get. That that's your wages. So we do sin, we get paid in death. I'm working the fryer, I get paid seventeen fifty. I'm doing sin, I get paid in death. Sin always leads to death. This is this is the lie of Satan that there's some deviation from God's perfect law that doesn't end in death. There's some other way around it. Even when we're believers and when we're tempted to sin, what is it always, that's actually going to add life to me. That's why I'm going to do it. It's going to be good. It's going to feel better. It's going to take this away. It's going to add this to my life. It's going to bring this thing that I want. It's never. The end is always death. The wages is always death. It's always what it is. So that's where we're stopping. It's a good night to come. <laughs> but here's the thing. We did this earlier before in the, in the um, early few questions of the catechism, but it's to the law very much on purpose because the bad news has to be as bad as it actually is. What you don't want to do is have some crazy medical complication and the doctor just tell you in stages. And they come back, you know, two hours later, well, actually, it's, it's, it's this bad. Oh, oh, oh comes back the next morning well actually it's this bad well actually it's this bad if they were doing that you'd say How, when did you know this why aren't you telling me all at once why are you kind of doling it out piece by piece 
The bad news needs to be as bad as it is because then what does that do for the good news? Man, it makes it so sweet. You're, you're desperate for it. You're, you're give me it, whatever it is. If this is how bad it is, then give me Christ. And that's what we're going to do next time. So you got to come back to hear that one. Well, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll sing our doxology and close out. Father in heaven, we thank you for not lying to us. And we thank you for not softening the truth, the reality of it. You've spoken so plainly to us, so clearly to us. We understand the depth of our depravity, our inability to please you. We cannot please you. And to do so would just be an, to try to do so would just be an insult to your very nature. Because you have sent one to stand in our midst who did not abolish this law, but fulfilled it. We know that your son said that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We can't, we can't keep even one iota, one jot or tittle of the law. We can't keep any of that. But Jesus came and kept it all and earned righteousness completely and entirely outside of us. And you, by granting us faith and belief in him, give us that righteousness. Lord, we want to worship you in that light. So thank you for telling us honestly and clearly how bad the bad news is so that we could see how good the good news is. And we, we can dive to the depths in this theology and understanding the truths of the scripture and truths of our, of our natural state so that we can soar to the heights of heaven in worship and thankfulness and gratitude that none of our Christian obedience now, Lord, none of it has to come from guilt, that it can all come from gratitude. We thank you for that great gift and that great freedom. And may we use it liberally and may we always be keen to remind ourselves of our depravity, of our inability, but the gift that we've been given in Christ that has wiped that away made us new creatures with new hearts the hearts of stone are gone hearts of flesh have been put in and they beat with the lifeblood of the gospel thank you father may you be pleased this evening as we close out our worship we ask this in christ's name amen well let's stand